Hello and welcome behind the marquee, the podcast that takes you inside the walls of an art house cinema. My name is Nick Alderink. I am the digital media specialist at the Michigan Theater, and I am joined by two guests, one who works at the Michigan Theater currently and one who used to work at the Michigan Theater. Please introduce yourself and tell us what you do for the theater or what you did. Hi, my name is Mackenzie Peacock. Um, I am the conference manager of the Art House Convergence, which we have dedicated a previous episode of this wonderful podcast to. Yes, we have. Um, and I also do some programming uh, with the Michigan Theater and just various catch-all needs-to-be-done positions. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Fred Karn, and I've worked at the Michigan Theater for the Film Camp series. I was one of the instructors and also... I have worked for the Cinetopia Film Festival, which is the film festival provided by the Michigan Theater, and I did the videography work for it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all for coming by. Thank you for having us. Before we get into it, there's a lot going on at the Michigan Theater right now that I just wanted to talk about. Uh, just off the top of my head, the main theater's closed right now for new seats. It's wild. Have you sat in new seats? We haven't sat in the new seats, but uh, we kind of illegally cut through the construction yesterday on accident. <laughs> And there are currently, not to steal your thunder, there are currently no seats in the main theater of the Michigan Theater. So it's just uh, flat p pavement. Yeah. And the echoes in the room. Yeah. We got through and the <laughs> lights weren't on. I was using the, cell the flashlight on my cell phone. Mm -hmm. And the echoes around us. It was kind of scary. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> There's one sitting out in the in the main lobby right now. And just if you're walking through the theater, take a seat in it. It's very comfortable, and we're still keeping it historically accurate. And that there's no full backrest or cup holders. That's really what we mean by historically accurate. And we're actually making it more historically accurate. Um, the seats that are currently in the main theater, uh, for those of you who don't know, they're actually the exact same seats that went into the state theater when it was built in the 40s. So they are the same seats, just the main theater ones are blue and the ones that went into the state are red. I didn't know that. Yeah, so they're the exact same seats. Uh, they've been there since the 40s, uh, so 42 when the mm -hmm. state opened. And they were refurbished a bit in the 80s. But other than that, they really haven't been touched mm -hmm. since the 80s and the 40s, mm -hmm. uh, which is why so many of you know about the uh, – or we've you know got complaints about the legroom right. and how they're not very comfortable – um, and the design of the new seats that are going in is actually closer to the original 28 seats. Wow. So we're actually, you know, upholding the yeah, maintaining that's... the historic uh, main theater, um, but also making them more comfortable. And uh, we are going to be losing uh, the current capacity of the main theater is about 1710. Yeah. That's the full capacity. We are only going to be replacing the seats on the main floor. And we're losing a little over 100 there. But to make up for it, we're actually adding seats in the balcony. Mm -hmm. So it should be good. Mm -hmm. uh, it should be more comfortable. Yeah, um, and, still plenty of seats for everyone, but just everyone gets a little bit more legroom and a little bit more space for films and concerts. And then there's been people worried what's going to happen with the armrest plaques. And we're going to be adding a brand new plaque inside the main theater with everyone's name listed who used to have the, their name on a seat. And, and I, yeah, and I know if you if you uh, would like to sponsor a seat, uh, mm -hmm. Lee Berry is still taking sponsorships for the new seats. Absolutely, absolutely. It's Lee Berry at the Michigan Theater. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we have upcoming film series. Uh, nothing is booked yet, or, or at least nothing is confirmed yet. But there's a lot to be excited. We're going to be doing a, a noir series. Ooh. Yes, and uh, and um, by the end of September. And we're gonna we will be having uh, 
Eddie Muller, Eddie Muller, the czar of noir, come for the, the first screening of the series. Uh, I'm not going to say what that first screening is yet in case things change, but it's very exciting. Uh, Eddie is, he hosts Noir Alley on TCM. And uh, he's going to be at the at the Redford as well. They're doing their they're, they're having a noir festival at the Redford, which is why he's in town and he's going to be uh, stopping by to to pay us a visit as well. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, really excited to have it. And to clarify any confusion uh, for any of the listeners out there who uh, may have got confused, like I got confused when I first saw we were doing a <laughs> Mueller series. This is not Robbie Mueller, the famed cinematographer who passed away this Fourth of July. Yes. Uh, who's worked with Jim Jarmusch and Wim Wenders? This mm-hmm. is a different Mueller. <laughs> uh, when Nick said, "Oh yeah, we're bringing Mueller in for a series," I was like, "Oh Nick, I got I got some news <laughs> for you." <laughs> different guy. May he rest in peace. R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, so we're really excited about that. And then Nosferatu is coming back in in October. And that's always with a live organ accompaniment. And uh, people love uh, Last year we didn't do it. Uh, we felt like it was time to do something different. We did Phantom of the Opera last year. But it's back. It's yeah. always a fun time. Yeah, it's always really fun. I noticed that you booked Yellow Submarine. Yes. And I was curious if that if that was difficult to do because I heard somewhere that Beatles movies in general are kind of hard to screen. Yes, yes. Uh, all but uh, the Criterion owns the rights to uh, Hard Day's Night, so that's typically the Beatles film that gets screened, and then the the rest they're pretty. They're pretty strict with theater screening, but given that it's the 50th anniversary of Yellow Submarine ah. and uh, Abramorama has is uh, touring just uh, throughout July, uh, the 50th restoration of the film. And I believe that it's going to have lyrics on screen. This is something that came to my attention yesterday. Oh, cool. So it, potentially a sing-along. Wow. I, I, it's going to have to be something I confirm. But and uh, when is that playing, Nick? That is July thirteenth through fifteenth. Okay, uh, so it's just three nights. It's just three nights, thirteenth and fourteenth at seven o'clock, and then Sunday we have a a matinee screening as well, or a, a mid a midday screening. Nice. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people are excited, including myself, yeah. really excited to have Yellow Submarine coming. For those of you who don't know out there in the podcast listening world, Nick Aldering uh, knows more about the Beatles than anyone else I know <laughs> and is a massive fan. So you can tell this 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 booking has his fingerprints all over it. Currently wearing a Beatles t-shirt right now. You are. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who don't know anything about Yellow Submarine, this is the Beatles animated film. And the, uh, they don't appear, they appear in person but at the end of the film, uh, their, their voices were spoiler. Oh yeah, I'm just <laughs> the, the, spoiler! The Beatles are going to show up. Uh, their their voices were done by other uh, by actors in the animated film, but the Beatles do show up, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's really trippy. It's it's the perfect introduction for kids to see the Beatles. I think nice. So bring the kids, and they'll be like, they're yeah. It's going to be a really great time, and I'm excited. You're going to be at all the screenings? <laughs> I might be at all the screenings. <laughs> um, so let's start talking about Midnight Movies. Midnight Movies are coming back to the State Theater. Woo! Really excited about this. Uh, the, just a quick history. The, 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 the State Theater, uh, when it opened in 1942, it was 
in the studio era of Hollywood. So that's really what, and that, uh, when the State Theater first opened, it was bigger than the main auditorium. I don't think people know that. Yeah, it was a grand 2,000 seats. Yeah, and that, when it still had the Urban Outfitter space underneath it, when it was uh, bought in the late 80s, I believe, they Urban Outfitters moved in down there. And what it is now the State Theater is really just the balcony yeah. of what used to exist there. Yeah, I think it was quadded. Um, I'm not going to give a decade because I don't know, but it was turned yeah. into four theaters uh, mm-hmm. before Urban Outfitters came in. Mm-hmm. And then the owners sp- condoed it and sp- said, you guys keep the balcony as a theater. We're going to turn the downstairs two theaters into an Urban Outfitters. Well, actually just a retail space, but Urban Outfitters has been the retail space since the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Hollywood uh, studio system sort of started to dismantle a little bit in the late 60s. And that's really when the State Theater really took off into, I think, what, what many people know of it today. And that was when um, the, the production code, uh, the MPAA system replaced the production code in 1968. And that really <laughs> what that did was X-rated films were starting to be able to be shown in theaters. And what also people don't know is that the that the state theater, yes. No, say, say it. <laughs> state theater used to be a pornography house. Really? Ooh. And yeah. what I was going to say is that almost every art house movie theater that you can go to around this country <laughs> was at some time a porn theater. Yeah. We all did it. <laughs> So, I mean, and then when I say X-rated, I'm uh, yes, we're talking about pornography, but also films like Midnight Cowboy mm-hmm. was was an X-rated film yeah. when it was first released, and that was what that's how independent theaters took off because these exploitation films and B movies, one they were they were uh, very profitable, and also like the 1960s, what an era for weird movies, yeah, and what an era for counterculture itself, and especially in a place like Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. it was just the, the state theater became the the home of the weirdos, really, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then. Uh, that's when the midnight movies really took off because they're just such these weird, strange movies that directors were finally able having the chance to make. One, because they didn't have a code that was blocking them from making these movies, but also there's finally an audience for it. Absolutely. And and an audience that would come back and back as as we'll get into it later with the midnight movies. One of the midnight movies we always play is Harold and Maude. Yeah, and that's because almost anyone who lived in Ann Arbor uh, during the time when Harold and Maude came out, you probably saw it at the State Theater because it played for over a year. Yeah, <laughs> it played at the State Theater for over a year when it came out. Is the longest running film to ever play at the State Theater? Harold and Maude. Harold and Maude, and that's why uh, July fourteenth for showing that. Uh, this Saturday, July 7th, we're showing Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. July 14th, we are showing Harold and Maude. Uh, July 21st, we are showing Eraserhead. Ooh. David Lynch's Eraserhead. You're going to get a little weird. And then July 28th, we're showing Get Out. Which is the new modern which, yeah, midnight, which yeah. I like. And you saw it at midnight at Sundance, right? Yeah, I saw the midnight, um, it was the world premiere of Get Out at Sundance. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a great, uh, great midnight movie. Yeah. And it's just a, a really fun movie to see with an audience. Anyone who saw that movie in theaters knows that how much, how much fun, like a, a dark movie with a lot to say, yes. But especially the climax of that film, just every time I saw it, the theater erupted in applause. Absolutely, yeah. The screams, <laughs> the screams and the laughs are yeah. both great with the group. Even though I saw it next to two teenage kids um, at Sundance who were definitely um, under the influence of a plant. <laughs> of substances, And yeah. there was a one character with a, 
uh, a silly suit, kind of, one of the guests at the party. And every single time he was on screen, they were just crying. They were laughing so hard for no reason. It was kind of enjoyable, actually. That's part of the midnight experience is the audience members around you. <laughs> so in, in a modern age today with streaming services, why do you think it is that people still like midnight movies? I think it might be because they're still hard to access because they're not always available on the streaming services. So that is a way that people can still go see them. And it's also that nostalgia feeling of seeing that movie at the theater, how they experienced it years ago. Right. Yeah, and I think also the community aspect of um, watching a film like that, that I think the perfect example is um, the first time I saw The Room was actually with like two other people in a living room. <laughs> um, and I watched it and I was like, what the hell was that? You know, like you'd, it, I, I was like, oh, that's okay. That was The Room. And I, it wasn't really much of an experience. And then last year I saw it for the first time at the Michigan Theater when we did um, a late night screening of it with uh, like 1,400 people. Yes. And there were uh, (laughs) many things thrown at the screen and people screaming and people singing along and people Uh clapping. And it was... It was an experience, and that's yeah. an experience that I absolutely did not get in my living room <laughs> just watching the movie as a DVD. Like, what? Right. And Eraserhead 2 is the perfect movie for a theater because the sound of that movie is yeah. so <laughs> off-putting. Yeah. And unless you have, like, the state-of-the-art theater surround sound in your house, which, I mean, you probably don't, and even if you do, you know, mm-hmm. go see, go to a theater. But anyways, the sound of that movie around you, I saw it at the screening room, Um couple years ago, yeah. I think, at the, the Michigan Theater. Yeah, they did the David Lynch series. The David yeah. Lynch series, and it was horrifying. <laughs> it's so, there's just, David Lynch puts in these, like, uh, high-pitched tones throughout the movie mm-hmm. that just put you on edge, and yeah. you don't even really, you're, it's kind of in your, like, subconscious, mm-hmm. and then you're just, like, sitting there very uncomfortable, but loving it, because it's, it's an experience, and it's an experience you deserve to have theatrically. Yeah, what I really would love to see would be the Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. And... I've never seen that movie all the way through. Yeah. Oh, okay. But you have seen some I of it. I have seen some of it, yeah. Okay. Well, I just really want to see it because <laughs> I hear it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people review it online, and it just cracks me up how bad it looks. And I just really want to experience it because I feel like it also creates a lot of – or it it, it – it, it cultivates a lot of 90s tropes. Mm-hmm. Like it has this very postmodern industrial look to it in a lot of these shots. Like these sets look absolutely insane. It kind of reminds you of like the the Batman movies at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just so bad and laughable that I think it would be an awesome midnight movie that I would, I would be all over. <laughs> you just made me realize something that I, this is a discussion I've had multiple times with um, Brian Hunter, who used to be the programmer here at the Michigan Theater, which is a lot of the midnight movies that we normally talk about at um, really all art houses seems to be like 80s and 90s cult classics mm-hmm. and then newer art house films, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about Sofia Coppola and we're talking about Wes Anderson, like these so only the only movies from the 2000s we really talk about are um, like good art house films. Yeah. And I'm I was always really curious because so I used to have conversations with Brian where he would be like, how do I get girls your age into the movie theaters? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm 25 years old. What midnight movie would I would people my age go see? Because normally with the 80s and 90s cult films, the audience is uh younger cinephiles who have heard about these movies who want to experience them, right? Like, mm-hmm. 
like you, yeah, like this, like the Mario Brothers movie, and people who are nostalgically watching them, movies from their childhood, and we're gonna eventually almost not age out of that, but kind of age out of it. So it's like, what are the movies from like the Spider-Man threes of the world, which is not like a good, <laughs> I'm doing air quotes, you can't yeah. see them, good um, art house film, but it's kind of this like schlocky movie from our childhood that yeah. we watched. Because I always, I pushed Brian for so long that I really, and this is not schlocky, but I really wanted Brian to do like a teen girls of the early aughts series. Okay. And like, I want to play Amanda Bynes movies and I want to play <laughs> Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And like, get I, I would love to see She's the Man with a feeder again, yeah. right? That's something I saw in like fifth or sixth grade or something with all my friends. Mm-hmm. And that's a movie we would watch at sleepovers endlessly. And I know all the words to it. But to experience it theatrically again as an adult is an experience that I want to have. And I don't know what you guys think about that or people out there in <laughs> listening, you know, let me know. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree to that a lot. But I, I I'll, part of me struggles to remember a lot of those movies that I wanted to see or that I have seen in the early 2000s. That means you need a programmer to curate a series and bring you in. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. One that I did think of that I wanted to hear everyone's thoughts on would be Napoleon Dynamite. I think that would be an excellent midnight movie that's kind of of the odds Mm -hmm. because it's just such an anomaly. There were no stars in that movie. It had such a small budget and yet it was a national hit. It mm-hmm. may, may have be, even been an international hit, but it was such a hit. You know, you see, you saw everyone wearing those Vote for Pedro t-shirts. Yeah. And yeah. It, was a, it was a huge cultural success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I think on that, on that decade a lot, and uh, we're, we're, giving out, we're throwing out a lot of titles here, and, and we really want to hear from you listening. If anything is sticking out to you, uh, message us on Facebook. Throw tweets at us. Uh, you can. I, I'm the one who runs all the social media pages. I will see it. And if something is sticking out to you, we want to hear from you. So we we have some feedback about what we're talking about. Like if 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 you're uh, if you're with Mackenzie, you want to see a band Amanda Bynes movies, then let's do it. Just tell me that you want to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's just tough because that's never been the audience that has really been aimed for. Yeah, right? like someone who grew up in. The who was a teenager in the eighties or nineties? I don't know. Maybe maybe the nineties they'd go see um, an Amanda Bynes movie because right. of um, all that. But you know that's not normally the midnight audience we're going for, and I right. I don't I think that's to our own detriment. I think there's yeah. people we're we're missing out on. And uh, we had a Will Ferrell series a few months ago, and it didn't do that well for yeah. us. And what it's what tough, yeah. what 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 I started thinking about? We grew up. Uh, the when Will Ferrell was reigning king as comedy, but are college students still watching Will Ferrell movies? Can you, I, I know none of us are in college, so I'm just throwing it out to the group. Is Will Ferrell still a thing? I think Anchorman will. Always, I think yeah. that's that's a movie that kind of permeates the cultural lexicon. I don't know. Yeah, and I think people really love Step Brothers still. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, but yeah. I I was just gonna say I remember underclassmen in my high school would still be quoting it and mm-hmm. talking about it. And so I, I think maybe Step Brothers probably still is very popular yeah. with people. And I'm wondering if Happy Gilmore or like those Adam Sandler movies of the 90s are still, would those be popular if those would be big screenings? I don't know. 
I don't know. Again, we're, we're, we're asking these questions to the audience here. We really, if, if, if you want to see Happy Gilmore, just, we, we, again, I just want to hear people listening from this podcast more. That's why I'm really throwing these titles out. I want to start hearing feedback of people listening. So please let us know. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm always so curious that, you know, that's the, the you know, with a movie like The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, is it too accessible? Like, would people not show up to see it in the theater? Or do people, I think you just, it's only certain films that people, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself because mm-hmm. I'm not really the good test subject because I'd always rather see a movie theatrically. Yeah. Um, like, I have streaming, but I'm never, I'm never going to pick streaming over seeing a movie in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if people would even show up. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I can't program a series for myself. Yeah. And we've gone so long talking about Midnight's and we haven't brought up Rocky Horror Picture Show yet. Yeah, which is kind of the OG. Yeah. And uh, last year, last October, we sold out the main theater. Yeah. We sold 1,700 seats yeah. to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. When we used to play it at the state, um, when we were just two screens, we used to have to do both screens Friday and Saturday night, and it would still sell out in advance. Mm-hmm. And, and that's about a thousand seats. Yeah, and that—that's just the perfect example of the thrill of seeing a movie at midnight. Yeah, because that one is there's like set rules basically. Like mm-hmm. one year working there, I um, helped uh, Kristen, who used to be the house manager there, at the front. We would um, we had a tube of lipstick. And mm-hmm. we'd ask everyone in line, is this your first time seeing the movie? And if it is, we put a big old V on your forehead yeah. with lipstick for Virgin. Yeah. Because um, it's there. So then, and they get called to the front. They have right. to do um, something kind of silly in front of the audience. But, I mean, fun. It's not embarrassing. Yeah. Um, shouldn't be like, a, oh, God, I can't go. They're going to embarrass me. <laughs> like, no, it's not like that. That's a fun thing. But, yeah, everyone's in costume. Everyone mm-hmm. brings. We used to supply goodie bags because um, yeah. we knew people were going to bring it anyway. So it's like, whatever, we'll just, you know, we'll voluntarily clean up spoons and bread for <laughs> <laughs> and umbrellas <laughs> in the theater left over at 3 a.m. So it's midnight movies. That's almost a therapeutic isn't the right word, but it's uh, sh- showing it's, it's, it's a safe space to show bad movies and maybe Rocky Horror Picture Show. Maybe it, I mean, it, it's, it's schlocky for the sake of being schlocky. But when we're talking about films like The Room or Spider-Man 3, or what are, the, what are the other these these so bad they're good movies? Oh, I keep feeling like I need to stand up for <laughs> Spider-Man 3. I'm like, I'd be terrible. <laughs> but, but it's uh, just because you don't like a, like a movie, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go see it in a theater. And that, that's what these midnight movies stand up for. In the mainstream, they're not popular films, but I'm always very against film criticism of of any kind because someone worked on this movie. Like someone, however bad a movie is, especially like The Room is the best example of it. Uh, Tommy Wiseau put his life and blood into that movie. And now it was just immediately panned. And... Yeah, you were going to say something. I was going to say, he, and he put all his own money in, yeah. which he has definitely made back, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. But, it, the, the, but then these these midnight screenings stand up for him again. It, yeah, it, it's bad and good, but let's all have fun watching it at least because that's really what cinema was invented as, just this form of entertainment. And we can still find entertainment from from this, just be, even though the, critically they were panned and are seen as really bad. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, like, I consider John Waters' movies art films. Yeah. Right? Like, they're, I mean, they're works of art. They're supposed to make you uncomfortable. They're supposed to be kind of gross and 
Um, I think he kind of hates the word camp, but, you know, they're usually described as campy. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're movies that absolutely... I saw Pink Flamingos at the state for the first time, um, and we had Pink Flamingos barf bags for people (laughs) that were, like, branded with the state theater and a Pink Flamingo. Um, And it was horrifying and great. (laughs) It was a disgusting experience. Um, But that's the movie that absolutely works in the midnight uh, realm. Mm Mm-hmm. It was interesting what you said earlier about how you don't necessarily agree with film criticism a lot of the times Mm -hmm. because that is someone's livelihood Mm -hmm. and their work and their profession. And I never really thought about that. It is kind of rude to criticize someone for doing their job, essentially. Like, I wouldn't go to someone who's working at a steel mill and critique them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like I wouldn't go to any other occupation really and just bash someone. Yeah. So that's really interesting. I never really thought of that before. Yeah, I think to me the best film critics, um, their job is to just kind of like frame the film in a way that you were maybe already thinking of but couldn't articulate, mm-hmm. um, and they're able to articulate that. And that's when I will plug uh, Film Crit Hulk, who is yes. my favorite. Uh, he's the only <laughs> film critic I ever read. Um, and he doesn't bash films. He just he just discusses them, and they're, he gets in really deep. And yeah. He's just so wonderful. He had, he had a great post, The Last Jedi. Uh, he's written multiple things on The Last yeah. Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Nadim, uh, who is a manager at the State Theater, Demis. <laughs> he uh, he sent me a list. He doesn't know I'm reading off this list, but I don't think he'll mind. So next time you're at the State Theater, give uh, give Nadim y- your feedback on his list here, because some of the, he's got some great ideas on this list. I'm just gonna throw these out there. Yeah, let's hear it. So and again, uh, this is me throwing suggestions out to the uh, to you, the listener, as well, and uh, let me know if any of these stick out to you. Um, some of them. Let's play in Twitch. So he's um, people like Twitch is a video game platform. You watch people play video games. A 90s Jackie Chan. Nice. (laughs) Series. Um, Series? Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I have to to ask him, who framed Roger Rabbit drinking game? That would uh, be... I'd love to play Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but I'm really curious to know what a drinking game is for that movie. Do do you know of uh, any any insight on this? I don't. I could try to come up with one, (laughs) but no, I don't know. He wrote down Hilary Duff, Lindsay Lohan, Amanda Bynes. Nadim, yes, we are on the same page. Right on top. Lizzie McGuire movie would be the perfect (laughs) midnight. Oh my God, you could do a Lizzie McGuire movie sing along. I would show up every damn night. And on, to- on top of that, he, just, he wrote Queens of the Early 2000s. Yes. And I think that that's what he means. They are. Um, Beavis and Butthead. Nice. Uh, guest DJ scoring old movies. Oh, yeah. And that would be someone like Jared, who is a, a projectionist at the theater. He did his own score for Metropolis a mm-hmm. few years ago, and that was a big hit. And we'd love to, to see, see that happen yeah, more awesome. often again. Intolerance from director D.W. Griffith. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a hot button. And my favorite, just said he just wrote, buy a beer and watch infomercials. That sounds awesome. <laughs> like late night? Yeah. Which I think actually is an important point that we haven't said yet, which is for those of you who don't know, the state theater does now have an open liquor <laughs> license. You do not have to be a member. Yeah. You could just go up to the counter. We have draft beer, bottled beer, <laughs> liquor, and wine. Yeah. So midnight movies... Potentially just got a lot more fun. I think so. 
And no more bottles falling around everywhere. <laughs> People sneaking. Stuff I don't know in if we'll be able to stop nuts. that, <laughs> but you can definitely buy buy uh, buy your liquid refreshments you before the movie is. Support your local yeah. art house. Buy a draft <laughs> beer. Yes. So uh, Midnight Movie is coming back to the State Theater. We're all really excited about it, and we hope you are too. Uh, so before we wrap things up here, we are going to get into what we do every week, and these are, are our movie magic moments of the week. And for those of you who don't know, this is the time where we talk about something in film and television that we've seen recently that reminded us why we love one working around an our house theater, but also why we love movies. So, Fred, what do you got? So a uh, movie magic moment that happened to me, I would have to say would be a recent movie that just came out, and that was the Mr. Rogers documentary. Yes. Won't You Be My Neighbor? Won't You Be My Neighbor? Mm-hmm. And that movie was so... It left a, a deep impression on me, and that's what's so great about movies is when they... Those are my favorite kind of movies is when they really make you think about them afterwards, and they kind of have an impact on your life yeah. and how things will be from here on out in a, in a positive way, in a better, more transformative way and I think that's the the best thing about movies is that they have that capability those moving images can make you feel something and make you think about something greater and want you to change yeah. for the better mm-hmm. yeah I was gonna say I, I mean I saw um, Won't You Be My Neighbor with Freddie yesterday um, and that was actually my second time seeing it I saw it in January at Sundance and both times I sat there, just my face was just wet the whole time. The top of my chest was mm-hmm. just soaking wet. Um, and it just feels really good to cry to that movie, too, mm-hmm. um, with how terrible the world is right now, yeah. um, which I think is something that everyone can agree on, yeah. no matter what side. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The dark world's times. Ter- it's dark times we're living <laughs> in right now. Um, so to see someone, uh, to be reminded of someone who just dedicated his entire life, his yeah. entire existence was just to understand children and to tell all children that they mm. are worthy of love and they are worthy of loving. And, you know, you have this whole mind that is your own world mm-hmm. um, that he wants to try to understand and wants you to try to understand. Um, it's just, it's so emotional and it's such a good reminder. And it's just also to like walk out of that movie into today's world. It's just kind of like a triumphant battle cry but like a battle cry for kindness and tenderness and understanding of other humans um so i I mean i can't recommend that movie enough what a win for uh, documentaries too like this has been a great summer for documentaries one with rbg Mm -hmm. and uh, won't you won't you be my neighbor both films opened in the top 10 in the north american box that's amazing and um, I know that this month we're opening the um, Whitney Houston documentary, yes. which I am so excited mm-hmm. for, Whitney. Um, so hopefully that will join yeah. that as well. And then potentially uh, Three Identical Strangers Oh yeah. in, in, in August as well. It's playing in select theaters right now, but another really great documentary that has making, been making its rounds. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say too with Once You Be My Neighbor. It's not just that, oh, it's Mr. Rogers, and, you know, it's emotional, we all watched him as kids. It's also a very good film. Yes. Like the way that film is crafted is mm-hmm. it's an excellent film, mm-hmm. even if you know nothing about Mr. Rogers. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we all recommend it. What's your movie magic moment? <laughs> I mean, that's probably, I was going to say, yeah. that's probably mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, was yeah. definitely seeing Won't You Be My Neighbor. Okay. Uh, mine, I have been on a string of, of watching crime movies lately. Like true crime? Just no, general no, just crime? No, just heist movies. Oh, and nice. It started with uh, Ocean's 8. Yeah. I saw that uh, film uh, last weekend, 
how fun. That movie yeah, I really liked so, it. That movie was so much fun. And it it captured the chemistry really well of both original Ocean's Eleven mm-hmm. movies, both the Frank Sinatra and the George Clooney versions. And... And Kate Blanchett's suits. Oh, Kate, my God. And Yeah, and her, her blonde hair and bangs. It's oh. just, she, yeah, she fit into that that role so well. And then I yeah, I watched um, Gun Crazy from 1950. It's this film noir. It's, it's on, uh, you can find it on, uh, on Filmstruck. Filmstruck. I would really recommend it. And also what I watched on Filmstruck, um, they do these Friday double features. And they, they had the, the Killing of a Chinese Bookie. It's a John Cassavetes film that I've never seen before. And then they followed it up with Reservoir Dogs. Oh, nice. Quentin Tarantino's uh, Reservoir Dogs. And there's no other genre that has that has better dialogue, in my opinion, than any than any crime film. Yeah, you know, we might be able to. I just saw that the Coolidge Corner Theater in Boston, which is another great art house, is, uh-huh. their midnight series coming up this summer is true crime films. Oh, is it? Yeah, like Zodiac. Ooh. Yeah. Check it out. Ooh. And again, I I was watching all these, kind of getting myself in the mindset for this noir series that I that I mentioned earlier. But it, these are films that are so much fun because they have the they have the confidence to make you root for the villains. Ooh, just it shows you the authority I guess that cinemas have on our opinions and our lives. Just to be like, yeah, we're gonna you're gonna root for the villain in this one, and you're gonna like it. So the opposite <laughs> of Mister Rogers yeah, is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, the opposite of Mister Rogers, and they're just they're so much fun and. I, I can't get enough of it. Just it, so that 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 was. I had many movie magic moments recently. Just having so much fun watching these these, these crime thrillers. Yeah. So that's behind the marquee. Thank you for uh, for listening. Thank you both for 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 showing up. Thank you to the Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor District Library for letting us take over their their studio for a bit. Play their summer game. Oh my god, it's so fun. Yes, Sarah Irwine brought it up last time we were recording a podcast and I had never heard of the summer game. No, it's incredible. And- <laughs> yeah, it's all over the city. You win so much good stuff yeah. and I love that. I just saw the um outside the banner on the um, outside of the downtown library yes. uh, the clue is Paddington yeah. which if we're being honest <laughs> if you have not seen it I can just go to one more movie magic the best movie I've seen in 2018 mm-hmm. um, and this I've seen you know 30 plus movies at Sundance I see two movies a week um, back here in Ann Arbor mm-hmm. the best movie I've seen so far this year is Paddington <laughs> 2 I'm not being sarcastic I'm not saying that in like a oh it's so silly go see Paddington 2 yeah no it is the best movie of 2018 <laughs> and it's also the clue maybe I shouldn't give a clue on air because then you're supposed to like see them around the city but Paddington is one of the clues that, of that, the game that, that's, your, that's your reward for listening for getting <laughs> to the end of this podcast is that is that that code there yeah and I, I've been playing it non, not well, I mean I've been playing it a lot since Sarah mentioned it last episode so yeah play the summer game it's a lot of fun uh, and uh, come visit the Ann Arbor District Library to, to do it uh, they have they have codes all around here so uh, let us know what you think. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Send us your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Going to give those shout-outs one more time, at Michigan Theater. Or on uh, the State Theater's Facebook and Twitter, at State Theater A2. And uh, let me know what you think. Give us your movie magic moments. Let us know what you think of these titles that we've been dropping. Uh, and... Uh, Keep watching movies. And keep watching movies. That's a, that's a, that's a good sign up there. Thanks for listening. Uh, you'll, we'll be back in your feed in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye.